Inside Sports Dead in Goal podcast for, this is week 29, we've been doing this. Of, uh, of the NRL season. <laughs> that's right, we're, we're a little bit behind. <laughs> Hopefully the Cows can win this weekend. <laughs> no, it's, uh, this is post uh, World Cup edition uh, of our podcast. Uh, my name is James Smith, I work at Inside Sport and with me again is Jeff Centenera, the editor of Inside Sport. How are things, mate? Um, they are good, they are good. Uh, uh, yes, um, some, somehow lasted uh, lasted through the uh, through the World Cup. Uh, yes, and then very kind of yeah, kind of happy now to catch a breath yeah. uh, and wait for um, the uh, new season, no, which isn't that far away. Funnily enough, isn't it funny how? And uh, this week's quest- Twitter question was, "How are you going to occupy yourself during the off season?" Isn't it funny? It, there is a bit of a sense of farewell, isn't there? Um, like, sort of. What are you going to do with yourself? Because sport is, and especially your home and away, week by week sport, it is such a thing that you cling to. I think I think that's the the great thing about footy, whatever cards yeah. you follow. I think you kind of yeah, almost like organise kind of your 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 consciousness, your consciousness of of the popular culture around kind of the the weekly rhythms yeah. of uh, of you know kind of the, the the match being played that week, whichever kind of match your club is playing and when when that goes I, I do think you feel a bit kind of yeah kind of rootless it's yeah, yeah you kind of drift a bit so yeah, yeah it's um it's I an interesting someone, one. I heard someone talking about baseball once you know why do you love baseball so much and, and I can't remember it might have been um one of, one of the big Hollywood celebrities and they said because it's always there yeah. you can you can get divorced you can have people um, you know, be born, they die, but baseball's always going to be there. It's <laughs> all reliable. It's like, it's like footy, isn't it? it yeah. yeah, I like that. So um, anyway, enough trivial. Um, this week we're going <laughs> to be talking about international footy, of course. Bit of a, bit of a, a wrap-up of, of the tournament. Um, uh, the possibility of um, or what, how, how would the landscape look with the Indigenous Australian side that played other other teams internationally, um, and we're going to enter in on the stadium debate that seems to be gripping Sydney at the moment, and uh, and, the, and the chaos that that's causing. Um, and talking about Freddie as Blues coach, and seeing as though that's been locked in since our last podcast, um, and we'll we'll discuss what's in our magazine this month, our uh, December edition, and uh, and then we'll end with your Twitter responses to. Um, to that silly question that I put posted out on uh, Tuesday or Monday. Where are we? I've lost track of the day. Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday. Well, you posted it on, on Monday. Didn't you, you, you posted yeah. one on Friday, didn't you? Um, no, no. I, okay. I, um, got a good response, though, so that was yep. good. Fantastic. Yeah. So um, the, the World Cup, um, I, I flew up to, up to Brisbane to watch it. I was a little bit, a little bit nervous about what the crowd was going to be like because it was so low for the semi-final against Fiji. Um, Apparently there was issues with ticket prices and things like that. I think it cost $130 to sit what? behind the goalposts for wow. that semi-final. Okay. Yeah, so obviously Brisbane people thought, nah, I'll, I'll save up save up and go to the final. But there was a crowd of 40,000 there, which which sort of, you know, it was a good, it looked good on TV from, from the replays that I saw of it. Um, good tournament and lots of fun, I thought. Um, I... My main takeaway from from this World Cup is it, it was kind of close to what I would consider, you know, the platonic ideal of what you want from from this kind of tournament. Yep. I mean, I can remember as we were kind of going to work on it in in the lead up, you know, when we tell people that yeah we were, we were kind of doing some some work for for RLWC, yeah, people would criticize, you know, oh yeah, the rugby league World Cup. Why does rugby league need a World Cup? You know, what's you know kind of it's, it's not competitive, like you know, kind of yeah, it's, yeah. it's imbalanced, like it's not really a global game. But if you kind of look at what happened over the six weeks, I mean, if that's what you get kind of at a, at a, at a World Cup, and I'd say any kind of World Cup event for, for most of the sports on the planet, I, I think you'd come away quite satisfied. I mean, we saw, you know, kind of a, a rise from a tier two nation. We saw a host of upsets. We saw a big three, one of the big three kind of fall on its face, yeah. and we had a competitive final. Like, yeah. I don't know how much more you want you know, out of a League World Cup. If we have another couple of those over the next, you know, cycles, plus hopefully, when, you know, with whatever else might happen uh, in yeah. terms of the game's uh, development over time, I, I think, you know, it proves, you know, the, the viability of, of the event. doesn't have to, you know, I, you know, I think all those kind of questions 
about it, uh, the imbalance and so forth, are, yeah. are really in the past. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, my biggest take was, um, and perhaps I'm looking at the game's reputation a little bit too sceptically here, but it, it has forever had uh, a, a record as a bit of a bogan boofhead <laughs> <laughs> pastime. There's a lot of those in the world. Yeah, yeah, true. And they don't. They don't, they don't <laughs> why, why, why you can't have a World Cup? Because just because of that doesn't make any sense to me. But, but anyhow, you know what I mean, we're supposed to be this really non-progressive sport, and you know, we've got to, got to head up our asses, and and you know, no, nothing's ever going to change. Blah blah blah. And then we saw what what the tournament turned into was this, this massive um, opportunity for those specific nations and, and every other nation to really showcase their pride in, in their in their culture. I don't know whether that was planned or not, but geez, it became the backbone of the tournament. And I just think whoever was running, you know, that kind, that aspect of the tournament really needs to be patted on the back because they really gave a massive opportunity for that to happen. I think in a certain so way, that's that's one of those things that uh, I don't think was was planned for. No, and it just, looked like yeah, the players were generated. And yeah, and it was de- yeah. it developed organically. It's like the old yeah. saying that you know. It, when you think of, this is going to be kind of a weird analogy, but when you talk about the Academy Awards, it's not the kind of things that they kind of, you know, kind of plan to put in the in the ceremony that kind of make it memorable. It's yeah. generally the weird stuff that happens in the speeches is what you remember. So that's what I that's what I kind of believe about uh, about the tournament. It's not kind of kind of you know in the in the marketing or the promotion or no. kind of almost what's in uh, what's in what you can expect to be in the games it's all the kind of stuff that you didn't you, know, you didn't plan or account for that yeah, well, comes yeah. out of it naturally and whether that's you know kind of you know the when when the sippy town and the siva town meet in the middle of the field or you know uh, or you know you get kind of um, Kind of uh, kind of strange kind of um, eligibility crossovers. Those, those are the kinds of things I think that uh, that, that make the tournament yeah. um, you know, far beyond whether you know oh, did you put up enough advertising as to you know <laughs> the, you know to get people to go to games. I mean that's that's my take from that. Yeah, yeah and why isn't America better at rugby league than what it is? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, why did Fiji fall over when you when you took them away from um, sorry, why did PNG fall over mm. when you took them away from Port Moresby? And I think they just uh, there has to be a winner and a loser, doesn't there? Like even if you are as popular, Listen, uh, I don't know how you'd come away. You'd have to be awfully cynical to come away from this tournament and say that you know, kind of you know, international rugby league kind of is diminished. Out of this, out of this oh, event. I, no, I mean, that that would be that would be really churlish to say that. Uh, the you one thing, you can't say that. Can no, you? no. And the, one, the one thing I'd kind of, um, kind of, if the only kind of dark lining I'd put out there, yeah. and I think I told you, is that if I'm looking mm-hmm. at that, the only thing that kind of makes me slightly pessimistic is that the state of the, the northern hemisphere, yeah, the game of the yeah. northern hemisphere, probably isn't as encouraging as it is. As it was kind of everywhere else. I mean, You're talking about Wales and Scotland. Well, I'm talking about kind of yeah, about you know Wales, Scotland, France. Um, yeah, you can leave Ireland out of that. Who who kind of play kind of well, but um, mm. even then, like I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't kind of put any Ireland anywhere near what I think Fiji or, or Tonga could do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's um, yeah, and save England kind of yeah making the final. You know, I, I've got to wonder yeah like. Um, on the as we go forward from this event, like where the kind of the the, the curve of progress goes, you know, it does that. You know, we, we can easily see the Pacific nations beginning to you know c- continuing to take off. But if like you know those northern hemisphere sides flatline or even go negative, you know, that's not going to be kind of yeah terribly helpful in, in the global scheme of things. No. But um, that I think kind of probably takes us to this next kind of point we're considering uh, about you know where kind of um, where do we go uh, from uh, where does the or sorry where does the international uh, game yeah. go from here and well you know the, the the likely scenario is that yeah the NRL should grab a hold of it and and run it for, um, seeing as though that these new pos- uh, emerging nations uh, all most of their players do play do play in the NRL and mm. And it's it'd be easy for them to pull the strings, wouldn't it? Um, like you know, let's let's stop the comp after nine rounds because round ten we're going to do this international event, 
and, and we can do that because all our players are here already. So. Well, I think one of the things that was really kind of highlighted by, by the World Cup was really the centrality of Australia yeah. in the game. You know, the, Australia is the engine for the game, be it, you know, kind of talent-wise. And, and I like or, your analogy or, with Or you. commercially. Yeah, that, you know, and if you look at even the success of, like, say, a Tonga or a, or a Fiji, it's because of yeah. what they derive from, you know, kind of the, the game's vitality in Australia. Listen, yeah, the, 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 the kind of the, the point I was making to you kind of earlier, I think, um, where I see it is the, the NRL is the rugby league as the NBA is to basketball. And, um, you know, I'm a big Hoops fan and I've kind of watched you know, where kind of, you know, you know, basketball has come from in the late 1980s. Uh, kind of on a global level and you know, the one thing that's really notable is that the NBA kind of partnered up with the International Federation of Basketball, FIBA, yep. and, and made it a priority. They said to themselves, you know, we're going to try and, and you know, kind of broaden our appeal globally, but to do that, we really have to you know, be a driver of this. We can't just hand it off to FIBA and say, you know, kind of run it. No, they kind of they partner on promotions. They understand their brand is bigger. Yeah. Uh, it's better known to most people at large. They have the they, you know, they have the players. They have the you know, the big personalities, and they have more money. They frankly have more money to be able to kind of push that message out of out that, there. That's what I was going to ask you. Where does the money come from? Surely, oh, the NBA, I, it's the NBA's own money. The NBA, yeah, the NBA would would pay for the, de- for the development of Yeah, I mean, like, for, so for example, to give you an example, like what the, one of the things the NBA does is they run a camp called Basketball Without Borders, yep. uh, which in conjunction with FIBA, and they'll go to a place, I think it was initially, the first one was in Africa. They, they actually ran one in Australia, I think either last year oh, or yeah, a I year ago. Yeah, yeah, and what they do is they just take the most talented, you know, kind of young teens, you know, um, they're still high school aged, uh, you know, uh, from you know the various kind of countries in the area, kind of put them together for a camp, get uh, top level NBA coaches, bring out a few players, and yeah, really create that contact point for um, you know the highest level of the game and still and the developing regions yeah. of the yeah. game. So you know that is something that you know kind of may only have have a payoff and may never have a payoff, but and, or um, that payoff might only come. You know, kind of ten years from now, twenty years from now, but it means that you know, kind of the NBA is really in with both feet. Like you know, they're committed to you know going to the Olympics, creating a new kind of international tournament. There's a bit of a controversy right now, at risk of getting into the weeds a bit of you know, kind of global basketball that they don't have international player windows. But this is a this is the kind of thing that yeah we're talking about with the NRL that they they have to kind of make the international game a priority. They, they have they have to basically say. Okay, let's open up the, the you know this you know this this these windows or you know, <laughs> sorry you know, the risk of becoming really literal you know, opening up this the, this time in the year and let's let's make it a priority because mm. if they kind of just keep on you know kind of persisting with the schedule as it is you know and say oh, oh we support the international game but we're not going to give you any time of year to actually play these games then then what's the point? So you've got that, that one international window now mm. which seems to be established you know around Anzac. Mm-hmm. Time, not Anzac Day, but Anzac time. I'm just, I'm just trying to think. How else can it happen? You'd almost have to either have another wind, window, whatever you want to call it, at the end of the season after the grand final. But, but that that'll cause problems with the schedule going into the new year, won't it? Yeah, so, I mean, to me, the, the obvious one would be Origin. Yeah, yeah, Origin. Yeah, the, the standalone Origin week, which I think is what, yeah, one of the things yeah. they're doing. They, they'll kind of play the Pacific Series. As, um, uh, th- that, yeah, uh, oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, we kind of if we progress down the line to a second standalone um, standalone uh, origin kind of uh, week or weekend, um, yeah. you know, I mean, really, I mean that's the realistic scenario. The one that if I was going to be speculative about it is to shorten the schedule, and we keep on talking yeah, about yeah. this all the time because. You know, um, I couldn't help but notice Cameron Smith's comments in the aftermath of the grand final. And, you know, there's a guy who has, you know, the entire good of the game kind of in mind. Um, you know, and he, he was saying that, you know, it's a lot of games. It's, it's a very long year. It's a huge commitment rep football. Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but, you know, you know call, call to mind what you told me from after the game. Look how buggered, <laughs> you know, Smith and Kronk and yeah. Slater and company were after that final. That was a tough, tough game of football to play on December 2. He was a little bit worried about that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You can see the look in his face. Are we going to actually win this game or what? Yeah, yeah, just on him. But anyway, sorry to finish the point. Yeah, um, 
it's a really big ask to have to kind of force these guys to add more meaningful football, you know, to what is already kind of an absurd workload. So, you know, um, yeah, it, it goes back to another point we were talking about kind of earlier in the week, where it's always hard kind of to change a system. It's easier to leave a system in place and keep it running rather than to change it. The bias is towards you know keeping what we, what we know and what's 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 run for several years. Yeah. So that's why it's going to be so difficult for you know the NRL to bite the bullet and say okay we've got to have a 22 week season, a 20 week season, yeah, or, yeah. or whatever. And then kind of leave the rest of that chance um, to to the international game, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, if that's really kind of if they if they really want to show support for the international game, the big statement of intent I reckon uh, you, you could see from from the rugby league would be to yeah, would be to shorten the shorten the schedule yeah, and give them more games. I think just going back to what you were saying before about um, you know. Uh, Grow, uh, putting their tentacles out there to developing countries. I reckon the NRL's already done that part. I reckon yeah. they've already done it with Tonga and Fiji and yeah. PNG and, and Samoa. I, I, the next step would be, I can't get out, I, I totally agree with what Matt Parrish said about you know the, wage, the wages. Yeah, the, that equalisation is a big issue. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, the, that's the thing that is going to be really interesting to see what happens with Cameron Smith and his RLPA because now they're... they're They've got a, a 30% stake in the game. Um, they take a, a, basically a third of the money that is generated from the game. The players have that. So it, it's, I, I, it's, I, it's really cloudy to me um, who, who, gets to, who has to pay Samoa and Tonga and Fiji. If, it, if, it's, not, if it's not the Australian side of the game, then, then who is it? Mm-hmm. Because... Basically, there's nobody else left well, to to increase these payment yeah. um, systems, is it? When you say, well, you, you've just kind of hit it there. It, yeah. it has to be the Australian side yeah, of the game that, that does it. You yeah. know, the um, other thing, in addition to payment, I guess the other consideration I have, and I think there's a tremendously encouraging phenomenon coming out of this tournament um, to to kind of lend support to this, but it's it's not merely the idea of how much money you're going to get out of this, but but kind of what are you playing for? Like, yeah. you know, one of the things that kind of uh, I think is, is is a really encouraging trend that I was re- the one the, what I was referring to is that if you look at kind of like say Jason Tamalolo's and Andrew Fafita's and to a degree I guess Jared Haynes uh, example is that you know they can see now that going to play for Fiji or going to play for Tonga is something that can really like elevate their football careers and. That's why I'm so high on the idea of a Pacific series and the potential it could, you know, it could be to, you know, basically kind of become kind of an equivalent, uh, you know, uh, to Origin into the future. <clears throat> because if you can put a showcase out there and yeah. that tells all kind of, you know, the young Islander kids that, you know, come and play and, you know, come aspire in your football to play in these games, yeah. you know, and, and you, you know, that will kind of, you know, kind of give them... You know, they're already proud to kind of represent their culture, as we were talking about, yeah, as we yeah, saw yeah. at this World Cup. They're already proud to kind of represent their culture in these games. But if you actually put, attach real kind of rivalry and real prestige to actually playing in them in the same way that it does for a New South Welshman or a Queenslander, then you'll see kind of, you, yeah. know, you know, that level of international rugby league you know, kind, kind, of, um, yeah, kind of go up, you know, a quantum, I think. So it's, it's not all... It's not, the money question is an important one. Like, mm. and, you know, I think and that, is, that's a fairly technical thing that I think you can probably um, figure out, particularly if the series in and of itself becomes, yeah. you know, kind of uh, becomes um, becomes a viable concern. Because you know, if you can you can pack out kind of you know, you know Hamilton or ha- Auckland or or Christchurch or what have you, yeah. that in itself is a revenue generator which will kind of find its way back to um, to the players. But the the question is, is that you know, what is there for them to play? What are the games? What's the series? What's the structure yeah. for them? Rather than you know, oh, this is something I'll do after I've played for the Kangaroos or the Kiwis yeah, you know, yeah. as a lark. I was just thinking um, before about the, the individual players' perspective. Like mm. if you're not that they played each other, but if you're Tonga and, it, and if you're a um, New South Wales Cup player who's playing for Tonga and you're getting five hundred dollars a game or whatever it was, you've packed the stadium out. The, the people have come to see you. Mm. 
and your opposition is getting twenty or thirty thousand dollars per game. That I, I know that there's a lot of goodwill attached to the rugby league World Cup, but it runs out when you explain it like that, doesn't it? It's yeah, like, absolutely. Hang on, we've sold the tickets here. Look, 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 where's our? Where's our even or even half even split of the proceeds? And it just seems seems to me that the the World Cup makes a lot of money. Mm. That should just be yeah. Next World Cup. If not evenly distribute it, then give the Pacific nations more. Give them five grand a game at least, or something like that, just to because we've got to be realistic, don't we? Like you know, we believe in the tooth fairy if we think that some bloke's going to keep sacrificing his body to keep smashing himself in a contact sport of rugby league just because he's wearing the, the national jersey. I would like to think I would like to see kind of if, if the payments do become largely equal. Yeah. That would kind of give, kind of the player, kind of a, a, an honest choice about where he wants to play. <laughs> yeah. Like, like right now, like you know, you, of course you'll go play for Australia and New Zealand if you're getting <laughs> right. paid what six to ten times yeah. what you can get. And especially you know, if you're not for, on good NRL. Well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. you know, Tamalolo and Fafita can, can afford to play for Tonga because they're you know they're plainly getting all the money back from the NRL clubs. So, they could have you know. paid all their teammates. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, and it, yeah, I think kind of just on a sporting level, yeah, on yeah. a sport in a sporting sense, that shouldn't be the the determining factor. Mm, and. And fair enough to say that the NRL should pay the other nations more, but where's that money going to come from? Like, well, this, this is the this 150 is, wages. Yeah, like, this is the thing. Like, if the NRL considers it kind of important enough, yeah, yeah. and they consider it as as kind of an investment, money that they can actually put into the overall kind of health of the game, that then kind of redounds to their benefit. Yep. You know, then that's money kind of well spent. You know, I, I've been thinking about this uh, this quite a bit that. Why the reason why the NRL doesn't kind of um, try to take on kind of a leadership position in the international game, and two things come to mind. One, it's it's kind of not in the Australian mentality to kind of go on and take on kind of a leadership position in the world. We we tend to think more in terms of oh we're part of the the, the larger scheme of things, yeah, yeah. and you know we've got to cooperate with our you know, our kind of peers. And, you know, we'll all kind of drive it along. I mean, even when we are kind of the power of, of rugby league, we're not kind of, you know, we're not kind of, you know, kind of so, so eager to kind of take that responsibility upon us. No. The, the other point I would make about that is um, maybe the NRL just doesn't care. Maybe mm. they really just don't care about the international game that, you know, the clubs themselves are basically kind of see it as, like an obligation (laughs) onto some level. Maybe it's an inconvenience that, you know, they have to, you know, kind of put the players, their employees who they pay very well, they have to put them out there and, you know, and potentially kind of expose them, uh, uh, expose them to injury. I I had that thought when Josh Hodgson kind of was was lost to his ACL. You know, I mean, what do the Raiders think about that? So yeah, that'd be thrilled. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and that's that's a question for interna- international representation in any sport in the world, yeah, yeah. whatever you want to whatever you want to look at. It but, has to be a buy-in, doesn't it? Yeah, but the yeah. trade-off is, you know, if you know, if you do have a potential kind of you know kind of vibrant competition, you know, international competition, you got to put kind of you, know, you got to put kind of some you know, put some fuel into that. Definitely. And uh, so, to me, that's the question in front of the league. There's a lot of reasons for not doing it, and, and that's why we kind of arrived at yeah. kind of the situation that we were at. Um, but it's good that that situation was recognised. Hey? Mm, like, yeah. At least we've, we've had that World Cup now, and everyone's it's, it's shone such a bright light on international rugby league. I mean, there there really is there really is a poten- there's potential yeah. there. There's a, there's a chance, yeah. you know, for, for to to build off this. It's the new state Unf- of origin, yeah. isn't it? Really? Well, yeah. it could be. Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. I can see just as easily I can see a path of it be- to becoming something that really fills out kind of you know origin time. I can easily see it, you know, being the exact same situation in four years' time. Yeah. Where you yeah. know, I mean, just look at the 2018 international schedule or lack thereof. You know, I mean, that that is the you know, that is the biggest example of it. That you yeah. know, there's there's you know, there's pretty much nothing going on in 2018. So, yeah, yeah and and you know, um, the the players have that big stake in the game. Mm. Um, yeah, it's probably up to them to say, you know, what maybe we should. For our benefit, I liked what you said before about the opportunities that come from international footy. Mm. I thought, um, unfortunately for them, and this is another point we raised, it's so it really is a big ask to ask to you know, to say play more footy. Yeah. They have to look after you know it is 
perfectly understandable if they were to turn around in the next sentence and say, listen, I've just played too much this year and I've got to take a break. And that, to me, is perfectly reasonable. And, and that is the problem that we, we've got right now. So if the NRL doesn't want to budge off the number of games that they have yeah. or like kind, of, you know, kind of give them a reasonable time to play, uh, yeah, I, I can perfectly understand that they'd say, no, nah, yeah, we, can't, we can't just you know, do this for international football. No, no, no. And we end up in the same situation, like I said, in 2021. Yeah, well, now, now the players have got a stronger voice in that, so they can throw up more opposition to it. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah. it, you know, it's... You know, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it is kind of in their hands to a degree. But you know, if, you know, if they say, you know, if you determine, you flip it around, and the players would say, oh yeah, we we want international football. We're supporting international football. Mm. But the NRL says, says, meh, or is is a bit kind of you know, lukewarm on it. Not <laughs> gonna, it's not going to go anywhere. No, wait, will it? No, no and it's an opportunity lost. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Interesting to see what happens over the next two years in particular. Mm. Yeah. So, um, of course, we we didn't see this, but. We, we, you and I were having a, a chin wag yesterday about whether an, an, an indigenous Australian <laughs> side should be introduced into the World Cup would be terrific. Well, no, I, I, I think, you know, to kind of put it in context, I think I made the absolutely kind of you know, appallingly stupid statement <laughs> that I didn't think an, a, yeah, a, yeah. an Australia A side, oh, sorry, Australia A, an Australian indigenous side would have had the depth to, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, either... And then you started looking through win, the, the win lineup, the, and win the World Cup, or make kind of like you know, kind of get. Oh, I think they could make the semis, but you know, kind of be a threat to to win it. Yeah. And then yeah, kind of yeah, just as an exercise, I started looking at kind of team, yeah, kind of the Australian, so the Indigenous All Stars lineups that they put together, and yeah, I got quiet pretty quick <laughs> because you know I realized how stupid that statement was. But, and, um, and the thing too, you, you asked as well. Um, uh, where loyalties would lie? Yeah. Um, would would he, uh, Indigenous players choose this new jersey over the green and gold? And I reckon every single one of them would choose the Indigenous jersey. I, I reckon every single one. Um, it's it's just it's the mentality. That's they, they finally got an opportunity to represent their people. That's shocking. I mean, yeah. that's I. It'll be an interesting story for us to do, yeah. for us to ask. Actually, no, I'll walk, I'll walk that back. It's not, yeah. it's not shocking or surprising to me. I guess you'd have to see how it kind of interacted with the real world, like will they get paid as much. I mean, here's, a, here's a th- uh, the thought then could be that you know, if you were to start a Pacific series and you needed another kind of element in there, why not have an Australian Indigenous side yeah. that, um, that didn't have uh, yeah, whoever was playing an origin during that period, oh. that would be a well-supported side, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Definitely. Yeah. 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 No, look, look at the way that, um, you know, former Kiwi players have deserted. Oh, sorry, supporters have deserted mm. New Zealand and just flocked to Tonga. Like, yeah. It's just... And, and you've got to re- remember what the green and gold jersey represents. Yeah. It represents the, uh, the, the, you know, the colony, basically, doesn't it? Yeah. The... the um, the dominant paradigm. <laughs> I guess we should have mentioned the dominant white paradigm. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what we should have mentioned, we should, we should also mention what brought this up in the first place is that we yeah, were kind of. Well, we were we were flicking back through the record and we noticed that uh, yeah, in two thousand, one of the yeah, New Zealand Maori, the yeah. New Zealand Maori, so I got got grandfathered in because they got promised a spot during the Super League kind of split when Super I League was so. yeah, Super League was looking for as many sides as they could possibly get for their own kind of That's international right. competitions and you know that was a side that was uh, was captained by Tawera Nikau and um, a, a certain uh, Kiwi coach by the name of David Kidwell also played in the World Cup for that side so there you go so many know, years ago they could still field a pretty strong team themselves well you know, then, you know there you go like I mean if if, if, you know, uh, if a New Zealand Maori could play in a World Cup I thought why why not you know kind yeah. of uh, an indigenous Australia I, I guess the one thing that if they were ever to enter um, you know the, the one danger would be that it, it's like I said to you that um it was like when they put Australia A into the cricket, yeah, in yep. you know, in, in that triangular one-day series, you know, many moons ago, and it ended up being Australia and Australia A in the final. That, that's what you could probably end up with <laughs> at a World Cup. You'd have the can- you'd have the kangaroos and you'd have the uh, the indigenous side you know, playing against each other, and that would be a bit of a slap. But, um, <laughs> I, I'm intrigued. Exactly. I am intrigued. I think there's I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of potential there, and. Um, yeah, just another kind of mechanism to you know for for kind of uh, for an expression of cultural pride. And yeah, I, I guess the point is, I right. love I love kind of when they come together for the All Star Game and like, I, I, you know, I mean, what, unfortunately, the All Star Game is just it's an exhibition and then it's over. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if they were to kind of play against um, a Pacific in a Pacific series, I think it would be. 
maybe if, if not initially, because you know I think you know maybe, you know, uh, maybe they'd be a bit too good. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they, maybe that's the point. Maybe we need to put them out there. Maybe that that space is better served by you know kind of you know like Lebanon and Papua New Guinea, which yeah, is, which is yeah. what's going to be kind of the yeah, uh, next uh, next year. No, uh, but, um, just while you're talking there, that was the only cultural thing that was missing from the World Cup: <laughs> In, indigenous culture and pride, wasn't it? Everybody else got their opportunity. Didn't, didn't they have a bit of that in the opening ceremony, and then you know, oh. with, with you know JT with his swearing, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yeah, with Cameron Smith represented him with the, with the war cry, whatever it was. Mm. Yeah, 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 JT. Yeah, that actually, yeah, you're probably right. Um, but yeah, we be interesting to see where that goes. I wouldn't mind seeing just for one World Cup, Australia broken up into New South Wales and Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, New South Wales taking on England, Queensland playing New Zealand. That'd be yeah. That would be so good. Extend the brand. Yeah, that would be that, that would be so good. And when like New South Wales loses before the final, I mean that would be that would be that would be even better. <laughs> That'd just be a massive um, kick in the guts, wouldn't it? It really would. Yeah. Speaking of um, speaking of interstate rivalry, Queensland will won't have the grand final for at least another twenty five years after. Um, New South Wales was guaranteed it by the NRL uh, since our last podcast, and uh, this has all got to do with stadiums, uh, hasn't it? I thought you were so. going to just talk about Brad Fittler there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's, cover him, let's cover him off now, then. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. that was a perfect, that was a perfect moment. I was all ready to, you know, you know start, you know, uh, talk, shouting about your Brad love from the from the rooftop. It's brilliant because because it wasn't missed by Penrith and Parramatta supporters, <laughs> but there were no no teams from either club. In this year's origin, no, so, no, teams, so, no players from either. Yeah, no <laughs> players from either club. Yeah, um, that 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 is a massive chunk of Sydney not represented in state of origin. So it's good, good, good on Fittler for w- winning it back for the for the Westies. And then he goes and chooses, <laughs> and then he goes and chooses Brandy as his mentor. So awesome. I'm really and bring Gould on board as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, just engage in a bit of revisionism, and then all of a sudden, Andrew Johns will have been a you know, Panther legend at some point. Yeah. And then Nathan Cleary probably, you know, probably looks like Fittler's going to choose Cleary in his halves. You know, it's awesome. My, my thing, thing, my thing. Of course, you know, you're very objective about this, as you know, as a, as a dyed-in-the-wool Penrith man. <laughs> Listen, uh, you know what? I, I got to. You know, one of the things I got to say about the Origin coaching job is it's uh, it's one of those things mm-hmm. that I, you know, yeah. It has. It's one of those things that has changed my mind almost completely. Like I've done a complete one hundred and eighty on you know in, in my in my position on on this, which is to say, I always thought that you know that I think if you want a guy to coach, yeah. you bring in a coach. You bring in you bring in a pro, and so you know in this kind of in this um, under under that kind of um, idea, kind of Fittler is. Yeah, I'm sorry to say, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hedging a bit because because you because know, Freddie has coached before, so yeah. it's not it's not exactly kind of you know incorrect to say that he's he's not a professional coach. But you know, the thing about Origin, and I had my mind really changed on this. Like I said, is that I think it's one of the very few kind of you know, coaching roles in sports where yeah the pro is wrong and that there is a very specific type of person that you want into don't to bring into you know, to be the origin coach and i think it almost necessarily implies that he has to have been uh, an origin player yeah, and a definitely. key and a key figure maybe not a necessarily a great player or a former origin great or, or, or so on and so forth but someone who who does have you know the bona fides of having been an origin campaigner you know and i, yeah. I i've come to understand that um, and to me, it's been a bit—it's been a bit revelatory because being origin coach is not like being a club coach. It's not even like being a national coach. I think to a degree. You're probably, you know, probably so, not even you know, much it's, coaching in there, is it? Well, no, not really. I think it—it it, it is about being able to gather together a group of pretty high-level footballers and and getting buy-in in a, in a very kind of quick period. And then the rest of the responsibility is about kind of. Kind of invoking like kind of the spirit of, of the event and being the very much the public face of yeah, the side, and um, yeah, and Fittler obviously is ideal for that. Like Andrew Johns would have been great too, and I, I'm not saying that you can't have like a great kind of you know kind of great you know kind of you know, kind of tactical nous or you know kind of great kind of coaching skills and not be a great origin coach. You know Phil Gould definitely was, but um, 
we've seen some ma- many fine coaches take on the role and you know um, yeah kind of fall flat on their face yeah, you yeah, know like yeah. Craig Bellamy and Wayne Bennett's like coaching record in Origin isn't you know That's particularly right. you know good and, and Mal didn't coach anything before he took over Queensland and no, no. never and hardly ever lost and, and so you know I mean that's yeah I I've had my mind yeah kind of really changed uh, about about all that and um, I don't know how you know kind of Fittler will turn out um, I reckon he'll go you know, brilliantly I you know I if it's the players are really buying into well it can't get any worse can it no, so. that's right that's right but but I mean, he'd have to lose the next twelve for it to get, yeah. to get worse. And he could still walk out the door and say, "I'm, I'm still not going to lose." Well, yeah. The one thing I think yeah. that yeah, I think, yeah, and I, I will be fascinated to see if it kind of turns out this way. But you know, Freddie, I think, uh, is really pretty good at um, fostering a relaxed atmosphere, yeah. shall we say? He's so one if, those, if, he's one of those blokes who knows how to talk to yeah, players. So if yeah. that is what New South Wales needs, if you know, just to take kind of you know, you know, in, in, in honor kind of you know, John Fine and to take the pressure down a little. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, he might be that might be the man to do it. Like you know, make, a bit counterintuitive maybe, but you know, maybe yeah. that's what New South Wales needs. Just to, you know, kind of take the edge off of like you know, this feeling that oh yeah, we're we're gonna go out and lose to Queensland again. <laughs> now, the, the way he um, he, the way he did bring that Lebanon team together was a real piece of magic. That was. That was, that was looked at. The Lebanon rugby league team was laughed at, wasn't it? Mm. It's not even a real thing. Like really, they all they all play in Sydney, and it was really ridiculed. And and he he actually probably came forward himself, didn't he, and said, "I'll coach them. Let, let's see how this goes." And I still think he did it to get dinner, <laughs> get free pies, you reckon? Yeah. Free um, all, all that Lebanese food. But but um, what he did there cannot be discounted. Like that was. That was a really good coaching effort, and I saw a vignette on uh, on Seven's coverage, and it went behind the scenes of Fitler, you know, talking to the boys, and he's he was hard with them, and he was ultra relaxed with them, and they were just looking at him as as a, a god basically. And what you got to remember is there is enough separation now between Fitler Fitler's playing career and the playing career of even the high profile players uh, in in State of Origin. So you got Tedesco's and all that sort of thing. There's there's a good two decades difference there. So he, I'm not saying he's Meninga like in his godly stature and that kind of thing, but he's the closest thing that we've got. Um, we as in New South Wales. Thank so. you. I don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't, don't want you lumping me in with you know your your blatches whatever. Oh no, I'm not on. I'm, I'm, I'm not that um, parochial about it. But I, I was really really happy that he that he that he got the gig. It's uh, uh, Maguire. I don't know. It would. He he probably is a lot more technically sound than Freddie, but as you said, it's not about it's not about learning new tricks. Is it Origin? It's about wanting to do it and putting your body on the line. And I stuff. think the smartest thing Fittler has done right now is take the job at a time when he won't have to face JT or Cooper. <laughs> yeah, for that he's for that alone he's a genius. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And he said, he said he "Ask any coach about their career path, and they say, you know, <laughs> the key, the critical thing is to take on a team when it either has a talent or is about to win. <laughs> that's that's the smartest thing you can do." <laughs> he knows, doesn't he? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He won't have to face those two players. Yeah, good point. Um, all right, can we talk about the stadiums, stadiums now? I know we're yeah. dying to talk about stadiums. Yes, um, the, the stadiums. So. Are they going to knock both down or what? Yeah, they're going to knock yeah. both down and they're going to spend $2 billion or $2.5 billion of your and <coughs> my taxpayer dollars yeah. Um, yeah, uh, to, um, to rebuild them. And just send out extra medicine for people who need to go to hospitals and just sort it out yourselves at home. When, well, you know, well, we're building these two stadiums and not enough well, money. Who, who came up with that idea that they should just like, you know, build a hospital or a school <laughs> into the side of the stadium? That's a great idea. It's a Idea. <laughs> what was it? Was it a shopping mall? Somebody said I was talking about, you know, so much crap. You know, just kind of, yeah. At least they give you something to do when you go out to Homebush. Anyhow. Yeah. Oh, okay, first of all, Allianz does not need to be knocked down. It needs to be ah, renovated. Here we go. The guy, the, the Allianz lover. Yeah. Let's call it the SFS lover. Like yeah, the SFS. Has. I'm not saying that because I live one and a half kilometres away from it and it's it gives me NRL in my backyard, but. It, it, it is a lovely venue. The, the thing, the hardest thing about it is if you live in, in the western suburbs, um, you have to get a train in and then you have to walk up that bloody Favot Street, which is a punish. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. That, that, that's horrendous. So and apparently, you know, the light rail is going past it, so that might improve things a little bit. But, but knocking it down... I don't agree with that at all. I, I remember when I remember when it was brand new when they played the last grand final at, 
at the SCG 1987 and, and they were moving across so that rugby league could have its own ground, its own rectangular stadium and I thought it would be around forever and ever and that was only 30 years ago. Yeah. It's a waste of money, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I've kind of watched this phenomenon with, um, you know, this is a, you know, a topic we were kicking around uh, kind of the office, even with our, our colleagues across the way at, uh, yeah, yeah. On, on the Football Mag 442 the other day. You know, it's a, it's a trend of kind of watched kind of rattle around the world and it's, yeah, it is yeah. pretty galling. Like, you know, sports stadiums have become like nightclubs or restaurants. <laughs> they're, they're hot when they open, yeah. but, you know, the shine comes off really, really quickly. Yep. Um, we used to build kind of these things to last, you know, I mean, you know, um, the, the Colosseum still stands, you know, in, in Rome. Uh, but now, I mean, I think... You know, I mean, I couldn't help but notice that kind of just before um, uh, the announcement of the kind of the, of the, the two billion dollar knockdown upgrade, whatever you want, of uh, ANZ and Allianz, that they imploded the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, which was a venue for um, yeah the '96 Olympics. Yeah. So yeah, again, another operating life of about you know just a, just a couple of decades. Yeah. yeah um, is it is it um, would be tender? Companies getting in in government's ears and saying, "Look, listen, we can build you listen, this stadium I, for X amount." I think I think it's a whole. I think it's a whole kind of. Um, I think it's a whole kind of systemic thing. I think yeah. you know it, it's you know kind of state level politicians like trying to kind of put their name on something. You know, yeah. it's like you know, it's like when you kind of build a new expressway or you build kind of a new, like you know, um, you know, just a big kind of you know capital work that's that's kind of you know kind of tangible in the ground and you can point to that and like you know my government or my ministry got that built so, so there's a bit of that there's and, also and, and i think they've read the crowd wrong haven't they they've, they've thought if we tell them that we're going to build them these two new stadiums yeah. they're going to be so happy awesome yeah and i, I think they, they read they read the uh they read people wrong there well i mean the one of, one of the things that I, I'm convinced that, that kind of leads to this is that you, you kind of have people like in, in events and tourism bodies that travel to all these kinds, oh, yeah, of, kinds yeah. of things. And you've had some experience of this yeah, lately um, that, you know, being on that kind of that commissioner's gravy train that you, you get to participate <laughs> in. Um, yeah, sly reference there for all your regular, regular listeners out there. She's coming up later on. So there you go. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Shout out to Professor <laughs> Professor Davis. Well, you know, friend of the program. We love you. Um, but the yeah, they all kind of go around to these these events uh, around the country, and they get to see kind of well, they, they get to the MC the, the MCG and Eddie had in Melbourne, or they go to the Adelaide Oval, or they're going to go to this new Optus um, uh, joint in Perth, and you know. They, they look at them and say, oh, the reason we have, you know, difficulty in Sydney is that we don't have venues as good as this. Mm. And so, you know, and then they kind of go talk to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, th there's only a handful of architecture firms that actually do this kind of work in the, in the world. And they kind of come in and they make a presentation of like, oh, we just built this, you know, building over in London or, you know, kind of in, in, um, in the middle of the United States and we can do the exact same thing for you. And yeah. you know, as as happens with major kind of you know, projects like this, you know, the, the cost just absolutely spirals out of control. Yeah. But um, yeah, again, I kind of you know, I think a return to the point that the fact that you know, they kind of recycle China just kind of only twenty years later, I, I think that's kind of appalling. Like, yeah, you know, it's it is, um, it? you know, one of the kind of kind of real grace notes of this entire debate is you know Todd Greenberg coming out and saying like you know upgrade the stadiums or and and you know we'll guarantee you know the final you know, the NRL Grand Final in Sydney for the next 25 years. And they got me thinking, well, then what? Like, you know, you know you're going to pull off this upgrade and in 25 years you're going to be asking for another upgrade when the stadium goes out of date again. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that, that, and that's basically the logic of what's, of what's going on. You yeah. know, I mean, if, 20, if 25 years, maybe, you know, the, you know, the cycle will have accelerated that point and it'll be like 10 years that you're going to redo, you're going to redo the stadium. It's, yeah, it, it's... It's, it's a hell of a lot to ask, you know, because it, it necessarily kind of falls on kind of the public purse. Definitely. Yeah. It's a terrible, it is a vanity, yeah, it's a yeah. terrible indulgence. And then, and then like, like through the week there were reports about the awful state of Vale Oval. And I know that's a council-owned ground, but geez, I've heard a lot of, a lot of opposition to these big stadiums being rebuilt again. And, and people still like suburban, the suburban ground experience. And, is this, you know, the, the fortress Brookvale just sitting there and it's dilapidated and not getting any attention and it just seems to me that the, 
that the resources are going in in the wrong direction of wrong or opposite direction of what people want them to be invested in. It's yeah, I mean, confusing. What, what really got me thinking about this, this kind of whole thing was that what's got me thinking was that the underlying question to me in this whole entire debate is, is to what degree are kind of the NRL's attendance issues mm-hmm. you may want to call them a problem let's just call it an issue for now are about stadiums are, are about kind of where they are yep. what the experience of going to them is you know uh, and, and kind of what yeah kind of what they do really you know to kind of draw people yeah, to the game and it you know, kind of yeah, I can't help but beat the feeling that um, if we never had an Olympics here in Sydney yeah. through that period, we would have a very different stadium landscape, and that would have been that would have had a really you know, very far-reaching implications mm-hmm. uh, for the NRL than what we have. We actually might have an Allianz that's already upgraded. We might have we, an, we, an, an Allianz have, that's, yeah. that's Suncorp Stadium. Maybe. Exactly. And yeah, the, we, yeah. we definitely have a, a building out in Parramatta. Like, I think yeah. that, that timeline would have been accelerated. I M- think Maybe Penrith would have been up, upgraded. Ab- absolutely. Might have been just spread around a little bit. I yeah. think we might have an ideal closer to where we would have most of the, most of the clubs playing in buildings of, of 35... 40, 20, 25,000 seat, yeah, yeah, yeah. seaters, rather than a lot of the energy is getting drawn, a lot of the gravity getting pulled towards, you know, that the 80,000 seater out in, out in Homebush, mm-hmm. which, we, which we had to put there for, you know, a two-week event back in 2000. I mean, I, that plan really was never kind of, you know, kind of kind to, to the National Rugby League. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I often love to talk about, you know, you know, the NRL's problems being self-inflicted, but I think the stadiums were... You know, kind of a problem that was handed to them. I don't. Definitely. I think that they were kind of really victimised there, and you know, that's. Um, and, and and you know what? Like these stadiums have just struggled uh, for. I hate this term, but they've struggled for content, haven't they? Yeah. And because they've struggled for content, they've gone around to all. You know, um, your South Sydney's and Wests Tigers and Canterbury's and GWS Giants, and they've offered um, you know all these discounts. Uh, to entice these clubs to play at these big venues, that that has killed it off a little bit yeah. as well. So of course you're going to go and play most of your games at at um, a venue that's going to offer you free rent. Aren't yeah. You? yeah. Um, what are you going to do? You're going to keep you know keep playing at Redfern Oval that, that yeah. holds six seven thousand, or you're going to go to this awesome awesome venue that's that's going to cover you. So, I'm going to say two contradictory things here. The first one being that I I don't think. I think it's very. I think it's highly wrong-headed that people think new stadiums are going to solve the issue of of kind of um, kind of low crowds or under kind of yeah you know, kind of undervalued crowd uh, yeah under kind of the average uh, below average crowds. Is, is what be, I'm looking just for. to support you. Yeah. Look at Leichhardt. Yeah. Leichhardt is packed. Yeah. Like, I don't think that you know we'll get these two billion upgrades and we'll see an uptick we'll probably will see an uptick in in in, uh, in attendance but well, you will you know but it's yeah. temporary that's that's a mirage that'll wear off after one game or you know even after one season you know because once you've seen it once you know that's fine yeah. you know unless the experience is so good it's going to bring you back and that has to do with the game and it has to do with its presentation i think you know once you've seen the building, you've seen the building, it's and like the fact of the matter is, once it's open, it's you know it's beginning to depreciate. Like in '98 when they opened the seat, the uh, NRL seat, exactly. So 104,000 people. Yeah. yeah, but the second point I'd make that's that's yep. completely contradictory, and this is something that's coming up in a in in a, in a forthcoming edition of Inside Sport, our, our yep. January edition, cool. when we had one of our writers, and, and apologies, going outside of kind of the realm of rugby league again, but um, one of our, our kind of veteran contributors, uh, Susie Butkovsky, uh, is a you know, kind of a it's a very highly established, highly credentialed tennis writer. She took a look at uh, basically what hap- has happened, uh, to what happened with the Australian Open when it moved away from Kuyong and uh, into uh, into the you know the fringe of Melbourne, into Melbourne Park, and how that actually was the making of the, of the modern Australian Open. So, yeah, I mean, the contradictory point I would make is if you kind of get you know the stadium right and it, it, its capability right and what kind of it enables you to do and kind of the atmosphere you create around you know, an event with the right building, you can absolutely kind of change the, the entire tenor of, of, of what you're kind of offering there. Because that's what happened with, uh, with the tennis. It was kind of the poor cousin of, of the four grand slams. 
and then when they moved to, to Melbourne Park, it absolutely changed the character of what they could do with, with the Australian Open. And yep. It's built itself to become kind of the absolute, you know, kind of behemoth it is on the, on, not on the Australian sporting landscape. I think it's, you know, it's truly one of the, the really world-class events that, that we do here without kind of any any reservation. So I just can't there you go. Contradictory. Yeah, that, that's my contradictory advice for, for the NRL. Don't waste the money. Nah. You know, it's not going to bring anybody more in. But if you actually got the stadiums right, you know, you, you know, you could change your entire league. <laughs> take that. Take that forward. You know, I, I, that's that's my pitch for becoming uh, for taking. Uh, taking over is it is it is it Carnarvon's job? That's uh, yeah, as, as head of strategy now. Is he head of strategy? No, it's a different dude. Head of strategy. No, he's he's um, head of football. He's head of football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a lovely bloke. Too, who's the yeah. head of strategy? He's head of strategy. Your mate, isn't it? Um, who's that? I don't know. Uh, so he's Sil- not your mate because we don't know his name. Silverton. Yeah, I think. That's yeah. right. Is it David? What's his name? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we'll have to have have him on. We'll and, have to have him on. We'll uh, have to have him on and um, Shane Matiski and make him uh, discuss discuss their future plans. Yes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? What I think they have to do, mm-hmm. I, I leave Allianz alone, redevelop Homebush into a rectangular uh, venue and keep AFL out of Sydney. Oh, but, there we go. Because that, that's what will keep the AFL out of Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> that the Homebush Stadium is square. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that will really, oh, yeah. I, I think that'll really scare them off. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they did in Canberra. They, um, yeah, um, Paul Osborne got. Uh, there you go. Oh, oh, this, this is this is somebody was. This is claimed to be <laughs> told told to be somebody wants. You know, get us in serious trouble here, but uh, <laughs> I'm, some, I'm some I'm local political local yeah. political elements got Bruce Stadium changed from you know, configurable just to purely square, and so that just meant the AF, you know, the Giants just went down to Monica and got that got that redone. <laughs> so, so, you know. so, no, there's, 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 there's some wonderful local politics in stadiums yeah. that go well beyond whatever the kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. is you know uh, in the realm of the sport. So, yeah. but I do think it's interesting how. Um, yeah, kind of. There is a gathering kind of public backlash against this. It's intriguing that you know, you know Peter Fitzsimons is kind of <laughs> at the head of it. You know that um, in that online petition. Yeah. Um, I, I think yeah, there's um, some good sense to you know kind of uh, what uh, what you know, what the public uh, kind of you know, perceive out of this. Um, so, and maybe you know we're just coming back to the bottom line of that. You know, Sydney people just can't be bothered. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> can't be bothered getting out to the thing. You know, you're. Uh, your, your, what was it? Your Hot Milo and Couch Brigade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, Hot Milo and, and, and Blanky. Blanky, that, that, yeah, it. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, knock one down, but not both. That's just a, unbelievable. Um, okay, so in the mag this month, not a lot of NRL uh, in our December edition of Inside Sport, but um, the closest thing we've got would be the jousting feature jousting. that I put together. Jousting. How did we? How did we? Rugby come? league is basically like jousting without horses. <laughs> jousting without horses and lances, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's like they gave they like you know they kind of you, you could drop into you know medieval times, take away the lances, you know the the horses, and yeah. like you know the, the the armor, I guess, and tell them and give them a ball and say you know joust and you know just smash into they run into and smash into each other. That's what that's what Origin needs. It needs horses and armor and uh, and knights. <laughs> But we came across this story because there was because you cannot take a bad photo of jousting, can you? Yeah. Uh, and, and we saw so many good images on our on our photo <laughs> library, and so I rang up the basically the the doyen of Australian jousting. There we go. And he, yeah, he gave was me he a rugby league fan? Um, I don't know. I mean, was he from Melbourne? No, he's, he's a Sydney. Well, there you go. I, I think he should yeah. be a rugby league fan. <laughs> but, but basically, the St Ives Medieval Festival is. Their big green final. But he's a union man. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew McKinnon, that's his name. I was, I was trying to think of it. But um, yeah, so if, you, if you're missing your NRL, um, grab a copy of Inside Sport. And Another one I would toss in there is yeah, um, particularly if you're looking for a, for a Christmas gift, and he'll really you know, appreciate it. I actually said this. Um, one of the kind of few league elements that there is uh, in, in the December editions, I reviewed um, Steve Mascord's uh, first book, uh, yep. Touchstones. Which is, um, I like to say that I don't really throw around kind of you know, five star ratings too easily, and this is one five of the very stars. few books I have, re- I have re- wow. read this year, sports books I've read this year that I reviewed to five stars. It is a fantastic read, and you know, Sweet. if um, you kind of really dig um, like Steve Mascord's kind of just mania, just deep seated love of of, of, the, of the game of rugby league, which I 
hope some of you out there who are listening to this, this podcast really do. I mean, you know, he, he, gives, he gives it some tough love sometimes, Steve he, Mascot, doesn't he? He's a thinker. He's, he really <laughs> is a broad thinker of the game. So and I, I think that's what makes this, you know, his, the book so appealing because yeah, yeah, he yeah. Kind, of, kind of challenges kind of, you know, some of the, the conventional thinking about the game there. I mean, so we were just does. talking about the international game before. He definitely has kind of a really you know, kind of broad vision uh, Broad vision for that, and um, he knows, about when, to, the, about he knows the only, when to get the knife out, doesn't he? Exactly. Chop off some bits that shouldn't be there. About the only thing that could probably dissuade you is if you really have, you know, if you really kind of are ambivalent towards kind of hard rock and hair metal of the of the eighties or so. I mean, some of those passages <laughs> might be might be hard going. Oh, but, maybe. Uh, well, look, yeah, hard rock and, and <laughs> rugby league. Tina Turner. Oh, that's just it. Great combination. No, that, that's just it. So the the, the, the combination is is highly <laughs> organic, and I think. Yeah, fundamentally, if you can kind of relate to, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say kind of like kind of league is in my kind of sports fan soul, but I could really relate to just, you know, deeply loving a sport. So I, I would say even for those people in your life who, you know, kind of may not kind of be in for league, but kind of just are a fan of something. Yeah. You know, I mean, just the way kind of, uh, kind of mascot just kind of gets into the, you know, kind of. The, you know the level of that that obsession. I mean, it's in, in the finest kind of you know tradition of um, you know whether it be Nick Hornby or Chuck Klosterman or those types of kind of sports and pop culture observers. Yeah, I can I can really recommend it. I, I think it's a fantastic read. You know, Touchstones again. Yeah, um, yeah. If you follow him on Twitter, and I'm sure you probably, a lot of you do. I mean, you, you probably heard him kind of griping about how it's selling. So yes. Go buy a coffee. It's not because of quality, let me tell you. Oh, no, sweet. No, best of luck to him. Good stuff. Yeah, I think yeah, he's going to really struggle. All right, we've been, um, <laughs> been chewing your ear off for long enough. Um, so we'll end with our Twitter question. Uh, every, every week we post, or I post one out, and just to see what, uh, what sort that's of a snipe at, That's a snipe at me, James, just because I don't post that question. <laughs> but yeah. All the yeah. league listeners are on your feed. <laughs> they are, aren't they? Uh, this week we asked, how are you going to occupy yourself over the NRL off-season. Can I give you my answer? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you wanted to give me, you, you asked me for an answer. Yeah, yeah. What the, the simplest answer to this, and this applies to anybody who follows any sport, it is to get the appropriate video game of that sport and play it. That yeah. is what off-seasons are for. Well, there's a new NRL game out, isn't Exactly. It? You get the NRL game and then you get, yeah, whoever, you know, whoever it might be, like... Um, Gold Coast, and you take them to the Premiership. You know that's that's <laughs> yeah. You live in a make believe world. <laughs> that's you know that's the only appropriate kind of response to the off season. There is a cracking. Um, someone posted it out this morning. There's a cracking uh, um, a glitch in FIFA uh, 18. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Uh, it, it is it is someone trying to score a goal. He gets the ball passed to him by the opposition goalie. And he tries. He's actually in the goal square, trying to kick the ball into the goal, and he cannot get it in. It's, just, it's hilarious. I'll, I'll I'll tweet it out again. It's uh, well, computer games, cool. See, 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 James is a skeptic. But, you know. <laughs> I, I I never had them. I <laughs> deprived. <laughs> had to go outside. Yeah. Misadventure. The mere the mere mention of can we get a computer game was just shot down. No. There we go. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, so uh, what too, am I going to do? Too, too wasteful of the electricity out in Mossvale. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We had wood, yeah. wood fire and. Yeah, well, that's just a, it. You know, you know, it's a lot of time hand crank. You know, on the hand crank to you know power. We had uh, a video game. We had gas gas lanterns and cows out the back. No, I once had a, a a mate, a, a union man. I must admit, he was an English. He was an English uh, kind of guy, um, middle school who used to play rugby by himself. Which was really? <laughs> there was a guy who needed video games. Have you won? It's that um, old story Don Bradman used to tell, <laughs> yeah. him, right? About the guy who used to score triple centuries in his backyard. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, poor fella. Um, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm pr- okay. This is what this is. Repair your human relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really have any of those. Um, what about? Okay, every year I bag the BBL and I bag Good. cricket coming along for ruining rugby league's airtime. I still sit there and watch it. I sit there and watch the BBL. Oh, no. and I, I, love, I love your question that you ask at the end of every BBL. Every BBL diatribe, yeah, yes. Is, can you remember who won? Yeah. And the answer is no. That's right. Because I, I don't really care. I just That's sit, right. Sit there, you cook sausages on the barbie. I admire what they've done with that competition. They, but, they, and, and then I always ask the, ask the, ask the question, who, like, who, who won? Yeah. 
It's like going and, into and the saying, pub, isn't it? And saying Perth Scorchers doesn't count because they're, <laughs> you know, they've won so many of them. But you're probably time. right when you say that. So. It's, like, it's like going into a pub, getting drunk and walking back out. You know you've had a good time, but you can't remember what happened. That's, that's what BBL's <laughs> like. Our, our, BBL, the pub of sports. Okay. Um, There's his marketing tag. Bob Drainer, good writer who, who works for us at Inside Sport, he, he calls it pop sport. Pop sport. I love that term. That's, that. yeah. that's right. So there you go, probably watching a lot of cricket over the off-season. You know, January is the only month where there's not going to be any rugby league. So it's not really an off-season, is it? Um, not Nothing? Not even like uh, no Super League or um, no, I don't Challenge think so. Cup or no, no. nothing? Technically, there nothing was, oh, well, the, the final was in December, yeah. um, World Cup. No, nothing in January, one month. There you go. Maybe there's somewhere in the world that they're playing rugby league in oh, January. Maybe, yeah. Maybe they'll kick off the... Um, SG ball playoffs or something, but yeah, so it's not as if you're not like the old days where, you, where you're sitting there for five months and there's no footy. There it, it'll, be, it'll be around before too long. Um, okay, so Andrew Mado, uh, one of our good fans, says he'll be overthinking silly, outrageous claims <laughs> of NRL player movements from hashtag journos who are only <laughs> interested in clicks to boost their KPIs. Oh, beer and cricket as well. Yeah, so... Great answer. Very good. Prof M Davis, the uh, ARL commissioner. Should we be watching NRL Grand Final reruns from the 1970s and 80s and old State of Origins from the olden days archives when New South Wales won? Um, I'll, I'll probably be force-feeding the 70s and 80s games down the throat, but, but Prof Davis has a problem. Like when she's watching those games, you know, she she must understand that North Queensland can't win <laughs> because you know they didn't actually exist back then. <laughs> That's true. That's Here's true. a thought from '95. Is there any footage of like like the Brisbane Comp GFs any floating around anywhere? Um, Surely there must. Yeah, there must be on YouTube. There would be. Yeah. Okay, that's that's yeah. our next that's our ne- next exercise. Yeah, we'll to, to find f- to find footage of the of the Brisbane Comp. We'll have to find that out. Yeah, Muzz on sport says uh, he'll be selling customised crisis t-shirts <laughs> <on eBay. laughs> oh, and, and I'll be buying some and you'll be buying some <laughs> very good uh, Karate Warrior 2 he's our biggest oh, fan uh, he'll be keeping the Code War bastards honest on Twitter it's a full time job <laughs> keep on doing that noble, warrior, noble, noble work warrior <laughs> and uh, he also says he'll be watching Perth Glory oh my god but it's not even a quarter of the way into the season and I want to and I already want to scratch my eyes out season going downhill that's what you get for watching soccer. That's what you get. What's it, what are you doing? Oh, <laughs> Karate no. Warrior 2. Come on. Uh, oh, Joe, before you, you, you oh, continue. Yeah. Um, favorite kind of rugby league soccer crossover story, I believe I read. Is it Jermaine McGilvery? Yeah. Has, a, has a son who's a really good soccer player? Oh, is it really? Did you read, did you read about no, that? No, yeah, no. he has How old is his son? Like 15, 16, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Can that be right? No, he's, he's too, he's too, no, he's a bit younger than that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jermaine's not that old. And he's, and he's a really good soccer player. Yeah, he's no, more like, more like 12, maybe. Wow. 12, maybe a bit younger. I, he's a youth, he's a youth level player, so, yeah. Cool. Geez, I hope I'm right about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm confused him with, with somebody else. Wow, well, yeah, all right. But, uh, yes. It was kind of my favorite, kind of, uh, at least my, one of my three favorite players to emerge from this World Cup. I found that, uh, I found that very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I hope he doesn't kick on with it. I hope he, Switches over to rugby league soon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe? That's where the money is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it up, mate. Uh, Joe, our Henderson Gill lover oh. from down in Canberra, he'll be lobbying clubs to resurrect the dive pass from halfbacks off the back of a scrum. Oh, terrific. <laughs> he, loves, he loves. God, that's going to take him the entire offseason. <laughs> he will. He, he's got the best uh, collection of footy cards. Um, from the 70s and 80s in Australia. So there you go. I gave him a plug there. And Albie from Steel Sports, he's another massive fan of our podcast. He'll be watching two old matches a week with a few tinnies. What a, what a, what a lovely plan to review. That's the way to do it. <laughs> it is. Sounds good to us. Very good. All right, well, we better go. Um, we've been hiding out here for a little bit too long now, so... Um, are we going to come back next week or, or what? Um, maybe, maybe, maybe not. We're not going to. This isn't a. This have, is, have a good Christmas. Blah blah blah. Yeah, this thing. this is. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're going to keep people in suspense. Like you know, I think. Yeah, might, I, I, might, I, I think we have. Um, yeah, let's keep people in suspense. 
We are one of them. There's a, there's a good possibility. I reckon there's a good possibility because uh, there's something yet, yet we haven't yet, uh, yeah. we have not quite yet discussed. That's true. That's in, true. Yeah. Actually. So in uh, in the realm of rugby league. So yeah, um, I'd say kind of keep your eye open for the. Yeah. Oh, we'll make you aware. Like I don't think you have to keep your eye open for kind of you know kind of how you get get this podcast. But um, yeah. yeah, I feel like uh, yeah we kind of abandoned people <laughs> to the run of the World Cup through our own kind of uh, yeah, through our own kind of as, as busy as we were. So um, that's right. Yeah. Uh, because yes, like um, the league may stop, but uh, we don't. <laughs> we don't, do we? No. Alrighty, beauty. We'll uh, see you again soon.